RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. That's right, we are back with episode 35 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jimmy Bain and today I have the great pleasure of interviewing a good friend of mine, Dan Tobin. Head of performance at Gloucester Rugby. Uh, of course, he's a good friend because I worked with him for a year at Gloucester. Uh, great time. Uh, learned a lot from him, and I'm sure you will also learn a lot uh, during this podcast. He gives, uh, he holds nothing back, gives away all of his secrets, and um, I'm sure you will learn plenty about rugby strength and conditioning and you know how it works in a professional environment. So, as always, give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi Dan, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast, thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't we start by you just telling us a bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the uh, sports and teams you work with. Hi Jamie, um, thanks for having me on. Um, my own background is, um, I'm Irish as you can probably tell, so I I, um, I worked with uh, Leinster Rugby for about 10 years through the academy and senior setup there and um, came to Gloucester about 18 months ago um, as head of S&C here. Um, prior to that, then I, I went to college in, in Dublin, Dublin City University, and then University College Dublin for Masters after that. And um, my own sporting background was as a sprinter, really, at that junior on the 20 level. And, um, yeah, I've done some work in, in Gaelic football, the, the Dublin football team back home too. So that's... Um, summary really of my background yeah cool and so with, with your background in sprinting what what have you tried to take you know from that and uh, apply in rugby um probably early on in my in my coaching career probably the, a lot of it would have been around the use of like just developing speed mechanics in in team sport players really and the use of plyometric training power training which would would have been typical of what i would have done myself and then probably noticed that it was an underused form of training um in rugby certainly when i started it was probably very much strength based and um hypertrophy based training so it was just including some more um speed agility type work plyometric type work early on with academy players in leinster was probably something that i think i got a lot of value out of in terms of developing players back then and i've probably taken that on into my career since then but to be honest a lot of it is uh, in the early days I probably would have trained rugby players like sprinters in a lot of ways in terms of speed mechanics drills and everything else but over after a bit of time you realize that it's probably not very time efficient to do that and you've got to pick and choose what things actually apply well to rugby and there's no point in teaching a a prop you know really good high-end top speed mechanics when time would be better spent developing other things with that type of player so you learn that um, as you go through time but it's 
some of it is applicable, but it, it probably it got me on the road in the first couple of years in terms of having a little bit more knowledge on that. But then you've got to develop it and make it more specific to the sport that you work with really from there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's, I always feel sorry for props because they're always the example in, in that case, aren't they? But, um, so in, in terms of that, how, how do you kind of figure out what, what your athlete should, should work on as their kind of priority, as a you know, physical priority? Um, well, I suppose, as, as you know from Gloucester here, we nowadays we would have performance standards for, for players by position, but some things being more important for some positions than others. So top speed is something that we would have a standard for, for our back, say, but for a type five players, it's not something we'd be massively concerned about, but we're much more concerned about their relative strength in a squat and, um, say their 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 power output with high loads and then with our backs we'd be much more interested in their say their reactive strength levels, their top speed levels. Um and I suppose from a speed point of view then we would we would do more acceleration type work with across all positions. But um would only really worry about top end speed levels with, with our backs and maybe some of our back rollers if that's their type of game. Yeah. Um so yeah we we try and be position specific without getting too complicated on um on different on different performance markers really yeah yeah cool and and then in terms of that that top speed for those you know back three players um backs um what's your kind of approach for improving speed in rugby um a lot of it i think is dependent on the environment that you work with and the, and the coach that you work with in terms of how much time you get to develop those qualities so um at the moment we would have had a good speed exposure in, in pre-season in terms of actual standard speed sessions mixed with some skill work for our backs. And then in season, we do a lot of speed prep, speed mechanic type work in around plyometric training or prep stuff before we go onto the field. And then we just make sure that we get good sprint exposure um, in the week. So at the start of a backs unit session, we might do two flat out efforts over somewhere between 30 and 50 meters, depending on the player and, and, what they want to do or, or, their, or their position um, and then we would track say 80% over 80% of their top speed how many efforts they have in that in a week and then over 95% of the top speed is genuine efforts that should improve speed performance over time and it's really for us it's about tracking that every week and making sure that we get a consistent exposure to it so that well one it doesn't become an injury risk when they do sprint that they haven't done a 95% effort in two or three weeks and then suddenly they get exposed in a game um, that obviously is a risk factor so we make sure that every three or four days that we get people as much as possible over 90-95% at top speed as a development tool for speed but also as a um, trying to eliminate as much as possible that risk of high speed exposure for those guys Yeah, yeah cool so you're kind of you're balancing the, the kind of loading they get from the actual training and, and like all things being equal, hopefully you get a lot of those speed stimulus from that, but then obviously topping them up if, if they need to and if they need to increase speed exactly, as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It might be, we, we, we don't have the luxury often of having a lot of time to take players out and get them run over 30, 40 metres, give them some feedback on their technical form and then go again. It's more let's make sure we get those exposures and do the best that we can in terms of getting some technical elements in elsewhere in the week. Um, and then obviously when we get, so we've, um, we've a couple of back three players now with one with a finger injury, one with a shoulder injury. So that's a really good opportunity then to go into more traditional speed type efforts with them on their return to, to run protocols. We'll get 
six or seven good quality speed sessions done with those guys where we can delve into the technical parts of it a bit more um, and that those six or seven sessions then should stand them in good stead for quite a period of time afterwards when they're getting top-up exposures and training like that you hope that they'll hold some of the technical things that you try to develop um, through that injury period so it's it's literally adapting and trying to be smart in, in where you get it in when you can in the, in the training week really yeah it's just kind of picking picking your battles there aren't you and now um exactly. you, you you mentioned your your plyometrics um and you you do it quite quite differently i know you've done research into sort of complex training and things like that and and you've kind of gone away from that do you want to explain a little bit about that and how you sort of program in the jumps and things yeah um again it dates back to some of those early days when i was with the academy at leinster and from my own training experience, I used to use complex training a lot myself when I was running around, I suppose, the the mid to late 90s. It was something that was, was consistently, you know, there was research coming out at the time that saying that it was the way to train. And obviously a lot of the Eastern European, um, I suppose, practices would have been promoting complex training as a good form of training as well. So we, I used to... Um, get a little bit frustrated over times when players would stop developing kind of movement jump height or reactive strength in, in training and I used to be able to get them to a certain point and then not go beyond it. So we started looking at just monitoring um, in our complex training sessions. We would do kind of movement jump at the start of the session, then they'd squat and before we do a plyometric exercise, we'd just do a kind of movement jump as a monitor. So we looked at that like two minutes after the lift, four minutes after the lift and found that in most cases, actually, the kind of jump performance was down on baseline. So that formed the, the basis then of um, looking into it a little bit more, and that's what I, I did for my master's. So we looked at complex training, and that, and that stuff isn't new in terms of showing, a, I suppose, a reduced performance one, three, five minutes after a heavy squat. But what we did do then was pretty much did the same thing with just, um, I think it was 50, 60 plyo actions, plyometric um jumps in a row and we track counter movement jump um sorry no the research was 25 efforts and we track counter movement jump one three and five minutes after those 25 efforts and compared it to the baseline and we found a really positive effect um across that timeline so basically what we found was that plyometric exercise has a potentiation effect on itself so you jump you do a repeated series of jumps and it improves jump performance better than squatting and then going into jump dead for us. So that became then the reason why we went, we would do our, like you've seen 50 to 70 jumps typically um, at the start of a lower limb session and then go into our, our heavy loading after that as opposed to mixing it um, in a complex fashion. And once we started doing that, we found that kind of jump and reactive strength over a period of training months and years, um, we were getting much better bang from our book from that. Um, so for that reason, I've kind of gone away from that complex f- format because I think you probably need, and the research will support that you probably need 8, 10, 12 minutes between the lift and the jump to optimize the potentiation effect. And you're not going to, you don't have that luxury of time. The session will go on 30 hours and end if you try to do yeah. that. So if you've got 45 to 60 minutes, we need to be efficient with time. So it takes us 5, 10 minutes to get through our plyometric jumps and then we go on and squat. And we've made consistent improvements in kind of movement jump reactive strength, and then you go on to your strength loading after that. So that's pretty much the summary of it. I've been doing it for a number of years now, and it's been it's been quite successful. So 
Yeah, and, and the other thing, just like from watching the sessions, is that that kind of initial part of the session where they're all doing the plyos together, it's, it's you know a real good vibe, and then they all go and do the count movement jump with everyone watching. It gets real competitive, and like that yeah. in itself probably has a, a big effect. Um, and, yeah, yeah, they do, and it's it's an enjoyable form of training. People like jumping around because it's it's almost childlike, if you know what I mean, which is much more enjoyable than just putting 150, 160 kilos in a bar and squatting. It's not. It's just work, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think it's, it gives us huge value as well in terms of contributing to the speed end of it as well, where we know if we're developing reactive strength the whole time, can't move, jump the whole time. Players are getting stronger, but then it's about getting some sort of technical component into your speed program as well, making sure that they get exposed to high speed efforts in the week and all those factors together combined to, to hopefully gradually improve the speed performance of your players. And that's certainly what we found, um, start of this season probably we've seen a big shift in the speed of our backs and the top speed levels of our backs which is due to the work that's gone on probably over the last few years in terms of developing all those qualities yeah yeah definitely makes makes a lot of sense and now we've we've already spoken about quite a bit but how how would you kind of describe your snc philosophy in a nutshell it's probably a difficult one after what we spoke about um i suppose for me the, the key thing would be that your SNC um, program has to have a positive impact on, on rugby performance. So you could have an SNC program that improves all sorts of numbers within a gym setting that could have no actual outcome in terms of improving sporting performance. Mm-hmm. So I think you've always got to be linked to the way that the team wants to play and the values or principles that the, the rugby coach maybe has on what way they want to play the game, that has to filter into the way that you design your, your strength and conditioning program. So if you want to play a dynamic, fast type of game, that has to affect the way you train your players. If you want to play a, a slower set-piece type game, well, that has to affect the way you condition your players too. So um, for me, it's we, we always try and, like we did last year, um, link it back to the game. So why are, we, why are we getting stronger? We're getting stronger so that we can be more powerful. Why are we getting more powerful? so that we can influence your ability to carry, your ability to win a breakdown, your ability to, to bust through a gap in the fence or whatever else. So, And then we're trying to map out for them in some sort of model that, you know, when we do our ball carry stuff, technical stuff, we're just basically honing into the power capacity that you develop in the gym, and that's what's going to make us better collision winners in the field. So to me, I always try and want to explain things a little bit to players so that they see the value in what they're doing beyond just sets and reps in a gym, the value of it is improving their performance on the field. And once they believe that, I think their motivation levels to commit well to the program improves. And then you see performance improving as a result of that. So that, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's an essence of philosophy, but <laughs> yeah, more no, philosophy on how to prepare a team really. But. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like you, if you relate it to rugby, I mean, there's some, some players you know that will, they just chase gym numbers for fun anyway, but there's other boys who are there just for the rugby and this, you know, it's just kind of a tick box exercise for them. But if you relate yeah. it to the rugby for them, they, they get a lot more buy-in and, and, you know, they'll get the results and then see it carry through. So it yeah, makes exactly. a lot of sense. Um, now let, let's talk a bit about um, exercise selection. I know you, you've over the years done a lot of research in different exercises for different like physical capacities and, um, to try to figure out what are the kind of best ones. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and kind of what your findings are and, and why you've done that? Um, yeah, I suppose 
I wouldn't say we've done a lot of research, but it was more. <laughs> I've always tried to split. Um, just always ask questions about why would we do that exercise and not this one? Why would you do this one and not that one? Um, for me, it's it's probably splitting up the, the qualities or the capacities that are different. So, to me, max strength is a is a quality or peak force, whatever you want to call it. Um, rate of force development then is a separate quality. Peak power is a separate quality. Reactive strength is a separate quality. So it's just making sure that I suppose we originally I would have looked at and gone, well, what's the best exercise for developing um, those different qualities? So, for example, we we looked at um, we did some more in-house stuff and some of it was published, I think, but it was more looking at an Olympic lift, say, versus um, a hex bar jump squat in terms of power output and rate of force development. Again, this would have been done better elsewhere but if you want to change rate of force development then your Olympic lift or your, your more heavy concentric jump type activity is the way to go whereas if you want to develop peak power your lighter faster hex bar jump squat or, or barbell jump squat is the way to go and then we compare barbell jump squat with hex bar jump squat and positive positioning of the bar um, or sorry because of positioning of the load in the hex bar jump squat you can produce more power output and nothing you would in the barbell jump squat so that would be our go-to when we're trying to deal with um, peak power changes with lighter loads if we want to do rate of force development then that's when we look at the lift or concentric jump squat if we want to look at strength we just keep it pretty simple with some form of of um, heavy squat and then obviously your more high-end plyometric exercises your fast reactive plyometric exercises are going to change your reactive strength so those are the main and again, this is standard stuff along the force velocity mm-hmm. curve, but first we try and keep it pretty simple so that we're not just um, giving players exposure to a huge variety of exercises as well. What's the quality that you want to develop? And looking at that, what's the best exercise to develop that quality? And we try and narrow our exercise selection a little bit to fit that um, without going to the point of having too little variation in your program so that it becomes boring for players, but we get more variation, I think, generally through changing the type of stimulus as opposed to just the exercise a lot of the time because we want to, you know, you can go front squat one week, back squat next week, box squat next week with a pretty novice guy who's not strong enough. And all you're doing is probably adapting to the different exercises when if your goal is to develop the capacity of peak force, should you not stick with the same exercise for that period of time and then, um, and then progress and move on from there. So that's probably been... The reason originally why we, we narrowed in our exercise selection because we wanted to develop physical capacities that actually impact the game performance and then a specificity in terms of the action comes through technical things that we try and develop in the game, which the rugby coaches do and everything else in, in applying those capacities. Yeah. Of that. No, no, that de- definitely answers it. And it, it kind of leads on as you, as you touch into, you know, when you, when you change or whether you change exercise or you change the kind of physical quality you're targeting. Is, so so how do you um, approach periodization? And it might be interesting to sort of compare how you did it with, with Leinster in the Pro 14 or Pro 12, as it might have been then, um, and, and the difference with the Premiership. Um, obviously, with the, the, um, the fixtures being different. Um. Yeah, I suppose to, to me the, the basis the basis of the the periodization to me is probably more down to where the player is as opposed to the the game schedule in a lot of ways. So you know that we we would do that jump squat profile, which is an, a pretty again ancient thing that's been around for a long time. But we just go that 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 percent load in the jump squat and check movement speed across those 
um, loads with a with a, a gym aware, and we'd know around about what those scores should look like in a really top level, powerful player, and then trying to hone in that if a guy at 100% low doesn't have the power output that we want, it's probably a strength issue for that guy. If he does have those power levels, uh, movement speed levels at 100% low, but doesn't have it at 20 and 40, you're probably looking at more of a a power output level or, or sorry, power output um, issue or a rate of force development issue. So then that may change the type of programming that you do with that player. So we try and be as much as we can now, more individualized with it instead of just applying it across the group relative to a fixture list as well. For this player right now, what is the quality that he needs to develop that's going to push him further down the track in terms of his S&C profile? And that jump squat profile combined with your strength towards your counter move and jump, your reactive strength stuff, gives you a decent overall um, snapshot of where a player is at to then go, this guy's not stronger, he needs to keep developing there. Or his strength is pretty good now, but we want to target something else along the force velocity curve. Um, so that that would probably guide our periodization more at this stage than than the schedule. Obviously, there's going to be times where if you have a, a five, six-day turnaround between a couple of games, that you've got to lighten the load in whatever you're doing gym-wise. But we try and keep a player tracking along something that's relative to his individual priority the whole time. And that's probably our our periodization is to just back players periodically and go, what do they need next? And then try and map that out for a period of a few months, really. Yeah, so you, you kind of figure out what, what they need, um, target that adaptation and, until, you know, they've got some adaptation and then you, you look at it again and see what they need. Does that make sense? That kind yeah, of that's idea? yeah. Sometimes you, you go two or three months saying that they need to get stronger and then you reassess it again and go, oh, they still need to get stronger, so let's keep going. Yeah. Um, as long as those improvements are happening, then obviously you, you haven't hit um, any staleness in your programming because they're, they're continuing to develop. So yeah. um, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't just give players some high-velocity movements just for the hell of it if, if it's actually not what they need because in a lot of cases with, those, with that jump squat profile, what we would find was with a weak player, um, after a period of training, they'll actually improve at 20, 40, 60, 80, and 100% loads. So they're already developing power levels at those lower loads because they're getting stronger. So why would you need to go in and actually give them a 20, 30, 40% load in the training? Because they're actually adapting power-wise just from, from high loading. Yeah. Um, so it's both been smart, really, about when you actually decide right now it's time to develop power output or, or rate of force development in those guys. And, you know, the other thing is that as our strength program's happening, your plyometric program's happening alongside it anyway. Yeah. So we tend to have a pretty balanced um, force velocity exposure a lot of the time anyway because we're, we're top and top and bottom end of that curve almost the whole time. So it's probably less and less over the last few years and we've gone into that jump squat mode because I'm going, okay, yeah, okay, you might get a little bit more peak power in a jump squat and you're doing a counter movement jump or a body weight exercise, but we are actually getting a lot of exposure to to low load high velocity jumps and then we're loading them heavy so we're actually getting a pretty balanced um athlete at the end of it which which the information that we have would back up you know yeah yeah definitely and um sort of moving on more to your kind of weekly sort of training periodization how, how do you um well, I, I know I know how you do it, but uh, how do you talk about the high-low uh, approach you've used in terms of training intensity, obviously including the rugby stuff as well? 
Yeah, so um, I suppose from a from a, a pre-season planning point of view, we always it's, it's pre it is a it's a Charlie Francis model really of high central nervous system load followed by a lower load on alternating days as much as is possible when you've got a mixed um, what would you say a mixed energy system mixed capacity sport but yeah. um, our Mondays and Thursdays say in a week would typically be our, our speed power high load really high stress um, central nervous system days and then our conditioning days and upper limb days will be more the, the Tuesday Friday days with Wednesday being a, a kind of recovery day so we would overload everything on the one day on a Monday, your high load stuff, your high speed stuff, your reactive strength, your high powered activities. Um, so big central nervous system stress next day change to more of a metabolic stress where you're not going to hit the same sort of central nervous system stress, but you will in terms of energy system and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be our, our standard preseason practice. And then in terms of, I suppose our, exposure on the field you're trying to marry that as much as you, as you possibly can at different times so having high and low days in terms of um, a high speed running day or, or a contact day where you're just changing the type of overload that you're getting in the gym and on the field so that's not you're not hammering on the same thing day on day which I think could cause issues and well obviously you're not going to get the same adaptation if you try and do you know a high speed day Monday high speed day Tuesday you're not going to get the same benefit on Tuesday as you would on the Monday. So why would you repeat it? Why not give yourself the 48 hours to to 72 hours before you go again? So um, again, to me, it's just the Charlie Francis stuff. I think his his general philosophy training was brilliant, but it was just really, really logical that you can't hammer the same quality every day. It doesn't work. So hammer it, give it time to recover, and then hammer it again is um, is the basic philosophy that we have really. Yeah, and it, it kind of ties into what you're saying with the, the the strength qualities as well. You you can't adapt to them all at the same time, so you've got to focus on what your your big priority yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, this is a question we ask all the guests on the podcast, uh, and it's what do you think is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Uh, what's the biggest mistake they make when it comes to strength and conditioning? To be honest, probably those who don't those who don't probably adhere to the 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 advice that we give them, so scientific information that we have on them. A lot of players have pre- preconceived notions of what not a lot of players, but some players would have notions themselves of what they need to develop, what qualities they need, without having the the type of knowledge or experience that you know, people who do our profession and do it for a long time would have. And sometimes I think where, where some players will fall down is if they go off at a tangent and think that they need to do X, Y, and Z without really getting hard, solid advice or thinking it through logically. And that's when some players can come across from either overloading something that they don't need to or developing qualities that may not be what's required for them. So, for example, it might be someone who has it in their head that... Um, hypertrophy is what they need for their game when in actual fact the evidence we would say would be that well you actually need to be more powerful and you need to be quicker over 10 meters and then them going off of the tangent to develop more lean tissue may not actually help that quality so to me that's probably the the biggest mistake that players would make again it's only a small fraction of them but 
those would be the people who maybe we would see not adapting as we would like the people who don't actually just take the advice on board and and run with it really yeah yeah definitely now um we we kind of touched on it a little bit um talking about periodization but how, how have you have you found the, the difference just you know coaching in a different environment between you know the the celtic league and um the premiership um yeah it's been it's been a challenge the league is a real challenge um in terms of how how relentless it is really it's week yeah. on week every every team is destined to win relegation definitely and the top six and the top four, all the, the permutations there do bring um, more meat and desperation to every week, no matter who you're playing, really, home or away. Both teams tend to be desperate to want to win the game. Um, and that's a real challenge. And probably the, the difference for me would be, um, I suppose, Leinster had a different management system with the RFU and everything else, and you had a lot of players playing international rugby. Um, so the challenge of managing that player is different to the challenge of here it's much more about week in week out for players making sure that they're, they're well recovered between games that you're keeping a consistent stimulus for them um, so yeah there, there, are, there are different challenges really both both good challenges both enjoyable challenges but certainly for me the, the change in the challenge is what I, what I wanted and it's um, I've certainly come across a change in challenge but it has been enjoyable yeah definitely and, and of course you're up in Newcastle for game tonight um, so you're Look, <laughs> yeah, cold and windy, I imagine. Um, yeah. And uh, just sort of lurking in a in a hotel room in Newcastle on your own, which is a bit strange. But where uh, where can where can people learn more about you? I know I know you're on Twitter, but you don't really tweet. But you do have a lot of followers. I know you've told me that. Yeah, place. I'm just a spy. I'm just a spy on Twitter, really. I don't tweet anything, <laughs> so um, I don't know where you can find me. Really, come to Cheltenham and find me. But I'm not. Um, yeah, I'm not really a massive social media presence, I suppose, but I'm a nice guy to talk to, so if people go to chat and let me know. I'll put your address on the, <laughs> on the website. Uh, cheers, Dan. It's been great to talk to you. Um, thanks for sharing all that. I uh, hope I haven't given away too many of your secrets and that, but um, yeah, really appreciate that. And all the best for the game tonight and the rest of the season. No, thanks, Jamie. Thanks very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Great stuff. Thank you, Dan. Uh, great insights into your work at Gloucester. And, of course, all the best for the rest of the season. Obviously, currently doing very well. Uh, that's good to see. Uh, in the meantime, guys, uh, keep uh, subscribing to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn or iTunes. And, of course, give us a five-star review. And check us out at RugbyRenegade.com for our online subscription program. And uh, get in touch with us through our social media channels for any questions you want featured on the podcast or on our YouTube videos. There's currently tons of videos in the archive there and of course uh, new videos coming out weekly so check us out there and keep listening for more podcasts thanks for listening to the rugby renegade podcast for more quality rugby strength and conditioning information check us out at rugbyrenegade.com rugby renegade building machines